Hello and welcome to all in your brand new business show here on Joe, backed by AIB. I'm Yvonne Redmond, and each week on All In, we'll be looking at business news and trends with the help of some of Ireland's most successful business people to help us make sense of it all. And what a cast we have. Our extended roster includes Strong Roots founder Sam Dennigan, Cogs and Marvel impresario Jane Gallagher, serial tech entrepreneur Bobby Healy, renowned Irish VC investor Brian Caulfield, and the brains behind Boojum, David Maxwell. But today in our lead roles, Maximum Media mogul Niall McGarry and beauty cosmetics innovator Marissa Carter of Carter Beauty. We'll also have a very special all-in trailblazer interview with a man who sold his first media company for almost 20 million euro and has since gone back in a second time with a new media company. We'll get to them in just a moment, but first, since it's our first show, here's a list of all the places you'll find us. Hit subscribe to get your full show each week available in your feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your audio. Subscribe to watch the show on Joe's YouTube. We're at allin underscore business on Twitter. Check out our new show page on LinkedIn too. The best way to get in touch with us is to tweet or post using the hashtag allinbusiness. Joe presents All In, together with AIB, backing Irish business. So I'm joined by the king of Irish media and the queen of Irish cosmetics. Niall McGarry's media brands have 16 million social followers across Ireland and the UK, while Marissa has 150 beauty products in 26 different countries. You're both very welcome. And as this is called All In, where better to start this series with a focus on what All In means to both of you? Niall, I'll start with you. What does it mean to you? I suppose All In in a business context means making that big decision, that big leap of faith to decide to you know leave your job leave whatever career path you're on to decide to set up your own business and it's a it's a daunting process but for me I kind of believe that it's the it's the key thing every entrepreneur the first challenge they face is are they willing to go all in all out and that the fear that comes from having nobody else in charge of your destiny no one else to pay your bills but yourself is really the quintessential meaning for me of what all in means but I think Business is all about challenges and overcoming challenges. But the first one that really defines whether or not someone's going to be a successful entrepreneur or maybe fall at the first hurdle, because the first hurdle is so big, is that thing of all in. And I kind of, a lot of people have asked me, you know, what's your number one tip for people to get into business? And I always start with, you know, if you're, if you've got a day job and you're trying to set up a business on the side, for me, that doesn't work. You've got to commit to the business on the side if you want it to become big. And you've got to be fair to your employer and say, look, I'm ready to commit to this business. I think thanks for everything. I'm ready to go. So all in for me is all about putting your heart and soul, your your, your interests, your family's interest mm. into this business. And it's it's a challenge. And what about you, Marissa? Mm. Well, can Another? I ask a question first? Go for it. <laughs> Do you think that um, being all in, you have to have gotten rid of your safety net? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's a crucial thing because I think the safety net is what kind of a lot of people go, do you know what, I'll, I'll keep doing this thing and I'll try and see if this thing works or not. I think pure entrepreneurs go, look, you've no guarantee whether that you do is going to work, right? But I think pure entrepreneurs decide, that's it, I'm going for this, mm. full duck or no dinner. And if it doesn't work, uh, and look, recently the government have introduced policies where you can now claim uh, social welfare, whereas obviously that wasn't in place for people. Yeah. So was, the, the, the prospect has become maybe slightly less daunting in recent times. How that law was even in existence was, is, is crazy. But for me, Marissa, definitely, mm. it, I think that's the first thing is that this is it. Uh, if I don't make a go of this, 
not necessarily, you know, I'm effed, but ultimately, if I don't make a go of this, uh, I've only myself to blame, only my accountant. I think the safety net is what stops people in business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you feel the same? I don't know if I feel the same. Um, When I I was 21, when I became self-employed and went all in. But I think I didn't have anything to lose when I went all in. So it was very different to an entrepreneur, say, remortgaging their house so that they can finance their business. So I ha- the innocence maybe the innocence, works yeah. your favour. I didn't have anything to lose uh, when I went all in. And then I suppose, you know, eight years into running my beauty salon, I decided that I was going to launch um, a self-tanning brand, Coco Brown. And it wasn't until Coco Brown was a year old that I decided that, well, that I had enough faith in myself um, to say, right, I'm going to sell my salon so I can go all in on Coco Brown mm-hmm. because I saw that that business was was scalable. Um, but it took me a while. It took me a year um, before I felt confident enough that I could go all in. Mm. Um, but I do think that you can go all in um, in terms of the effort and the hard work that you put into your business um, and still not reach the level of success that you want to unless your strategy is right. right. So, for example, if you know if you're trying to get water up a hill, um, and no matter how hard you try, you're trying to use your hands to get water up the hill, you're not going to get that water up the hill. Your strategy needs to be right. You need to have the right tools and the right buckets right. Yeah. to do that. So, while I think that being all in is massively um, important for the success of your business, I do think that your strategy <coughs> is equally as important. Well, that's. Uh an interesting point you make there because when I'm not here, I work for a company called Web Summit and we bring together thousands of the top startups and entrepreneurs around the world to our events. And there's one thing that comes up every single time when we discuss this concept of all in. Mm-hmm. That audience wants to know from people like yourselves, is there a right way to do it, first and foremost? And secondly, when is the time to do it? Mm-hmm. And people are waiting for this okay, so should I get to X amount of users and then go all in? Should I get to X amount of funding and go all in? How many years in? Okay, when I'm a year in, um, (laughs) should I shut down my beauty? And I'd love to hear from you guys on that. Is there a right way to do it? And if so, when is the time to do it? I think like everything, no matter what you're applying yourself to, if you're going to learn in a foreign language, if you're going to take health and fitness seriously, you know what the first part is, am I committed to this? And I think that's kind of what mm. I mean. And that Marissa's dead right. Like the strategy is the next part. And then within that, then there's going to be a huge amount of other different levels and layers. But as I said, I just think at a base level, committing to anything that you do in life is a core part of the best chance of success. Mm-hmm. So to go back to your point, Vaughan, about like all these people asking those questions at the Web Summit, you absolutely, that's the first box that needs to be ticked. And then there's a series of even greater and bigger boxes. And I think funding, like, funding. And I think a lot of people just assume that like they assume um, that you are and, you, you know, are, are committed fully to your business. But like as you go through the lifespan of your business, you'll have so many challenges. And one of the things I think about the concept of all in is that you will continue to be all in in your business. And even if you successfully exit and you get in something new, you're back all in or even with the way technology is disrupting every single industry mm-hmm. right now, you have got to be always all in because one of the key things any entrepreneur or leader needs to do is be able to have skin in the game and understand their business so that what strategy you had in 2015 is potentially not as relevant in 2020. If you're still working off a 2015 strategy, you're not going to inspire your work colleagues, your staff, your potential customers, you're going to be out of date. So this kind of all in piece is a constant almost source of replenishment. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, 
I think that, uh, yeah, it, that's just the basics. It's just the commitment. Are you committed to this? But then within that, like entrepreneurs nowadays need to be good at so many things. It's actually difficult because, you know, okay, you might get a genius coder who comes along, creates the best app ever. And then you've got all these business people that surround them and money men and women that actually make the whole thing come to life. But for more normal entrepreneurs, you've got to understand, like I was crap at accountancy in school, for instance, but now I've got to understand balance mm-hmm. sheets, profit mm-hmm. and loss and so on and so forth. And that's not necessarily a skill set that came naturally to me. You've got to understand the, the space you're in and then where that's going next and you need to be ahead of everybody else. And just suddenly manage people. You have mm-hmm. to suddenly manage yeah. people. You need to appreciate leadership, culture. You need to hire well. So the entrepreneur these days, and if you talk to investors or you talk to people, they're looking for all of these different strings to the bow. And that's the crucial challenge that entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, I think, face more than ever now. And on the other side of the coin that we just mentioned there, you know, people want to know when should I do this and and how can I do it right? I've also found that at something like Web Summit, all the investors are saying, we won't invest in you if you're not all in. And that means no side day job. (laughs) Yeah, so I I, I can see where they're coming from, because ultimately, if they're cutting a check to put into your business and you're not fully in the business already, mm-hmm. they ain't going to cut that check too quickly. So at every level, whether it's a bank funding, whether it's an investor, whether it's venture capital, private equity, you've got to be 100%. You've got to be the most vested person in the business. But modern day entrepreneurs need to know a variety of different things, which I think is a challenge because as I said, technology is going to continue to disrupt. For me, technology has brought huge opportunity to my business. I don't think mm-hmm. I, we would have built the business we had had technology disrupted the media business. Mm-hmm. However, technology is going to continue to challenge us and staying ahead of the game is probably the biggest challenge now for everybody. Um, and I know even with Marissa's business, you know, the product will stay the same. I don't think there's anyone going to be uh, in virtual reality applying your, your, your tan or your beauty products. But ultimately, the, the channel of which those products now get sourced mm. or get found about has changed. And I think Marissa probably benefited that from that already. Mm-hmm. And in, actually, well, Marissa, in terms of what Niall's saying there about the evolution of mm-hmm. All In throughout mm-hmm. your, your business's lifespan, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, you mentioned there at 21, selling up your salon mm-hmm. to go all in with the products. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are, Have there been other ways since that that you've had to go all in again and continuously? Yeah. What does that look like? Um, well, I think it's important to discuss I think that we have to discuss the fact that um, your hard work and your effort and your going all in isn't ultimately going to, it's not ultimately going to be um, what determines the success of your business. It is important, but rest and rejuvenating and taking time out, that's for me as a creative person when I find I come up with my best ideas. So I think that you can't go 100% full throttle all in all of the time as an entrepreneur. You have to set boundaries. If you don't set boundaries, you'll suffer with things like burnout Burnout, um, or just a lack of creativity. So for example, a year and a half ago, I decided that I was taking three months off social media, that I needed a break, that it was too much. I was reaching burnout point um, and I allowed myself that space, that creative void um, in which to create a, a line of makeup products. Um, and I do think that, you know, there is a glorification around being busy and, and now all in, while I think it's you have to be all in. You can't have, you know, you can't have too much of a safety net there or you won't put 100% effort in. But I do think you also need to recognize just how important it is to know when you need to step back or you will become almost desperate in your search or for success as well. So um, what I've learned in over the last, say, 15 years being self-employed is that there's a massive difference between um 
tenacity and pushiness. And I'm in sales, so I create products and then my job, next job then is to sell them. So it's to get retailers all around the world to say, yes, we will put your products on our shelves. And, um, you know, I can double my efforts in terms of my presentation. I can spend weeks practicing my pitch. I can uh, spend a fortune on graphics and making sure that my pitch is absolutely perfect and never work as hard on a pitch and then go in and pitch to the retailer and within the first three minutes I can be told no listen sorry your products just aren't right for us at this time so and there's a lot of rejection in business and you need to be able to you need to be able to know well when is the time for me to knock back on knock back on that door again when do I when do I become a little bit pushy and I think if you're constantly putting yourself in a position where you feel like you need to be all in 100% of the time, then you can become pushy. And there's nothing that's a bigger turnoff to retailers or to buyers than meeting somebody who feels like things are a little bit desperate or a little bit pushy. So what I've learned to do is that when things are going really well, that's when you push for more. And when things are really hard, don't push just hold on for dear life and just try and stay where you are. That's good <laughs> advice. But for both of you, how do you know where that line is, both in terms of pushing the, the end goal of your business and for yourselves? How do you, we'll say for you, Niall, how do you know when to step back and do the equivalent of what Marissa is yeah, talking about? Yeah, it's harder, it's harder for me in my line of work because I like to go on Twitter, I like to go on Instagram, right? But as soon as I do, so let's say I go on holiday, as soon as I do, I'm seeing our brands in my feed. I'm seeing our competitors' brands in my feed. So I found that like social media has made our business, yet I think social media has had a huge impact, profound impact, bigger impact than anything else in terms of the despair a lot of people feel towards the modern world. Mm. Right? If you look at the political yep, system absolutely. in America and Britain, like completely created and only could have been created by social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't enjoy TV anymore. People don't enjoy, like, to the same level because they get distracted. So, Do you mean because they're double screening? Yeah, they're just, <laughs> yeah. just distracted. I mean, you could go into a wholehearted, and I know obviously we're <laughs> going off on a tangent here, but like social media obviously has created this challenge where it, what it does at its core is it creates distraction. So the reality of it is like, you know, TV, radio stations, all these guys come under pressure purely because social media has caused distraction and everyone now is distracted. So I personally, you know, don't enjoy sport as much because I can't concentrate on it because I'm, I'm distracted. And obviously like TV and so on and so forth, I said, so you're in this new environment. So for me, it's difficult to get that kind of time to unwind. But recently back from holiday in Greece and when, 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 you, when you do get away, and it might take me a day or two to cool off or to wind down. And then, and I'm not an intense character, but I always know that this is always something in the back of my head, which is always the business and kids. It's the same level as kids is that thing always <laughs> in the back of your head. So it takes me a day or two to wind down. But if you get that bit, you need three or four days and then you can potentially listen to a business podcast and get some inspiration or just think about life. And I found I actually thought a lot about what I want to do at later stages so I definitely did get to switch off and then what you can happen is you can wind back up as the holiday but you need that holiday I think I can't get mm-hmm. away from this business in yeah. Ireland Physical or the space. UK yeah because one of the big things about our business is there's no door to shut mm-hmm. right so we're not running a butcher's where at six o'clock in the evening you, you shut that door metaphorically physically and everything our business is always on I can get a call on a Saturday and we could have you know something could have happened to do and that's happening an awful lot less however it is 
the digital world is making businesses much more 24-7 and seven days a week. Mm. E-commerce is clearly making retail uh, 24-hour day, seven day a week business, which brings its own challenges. So I think the point about business t- turning off and breaking up from your business for a little while is very linked to society and where we're going, how it's starting. It's very hard to turn off from anything mm. right now. But I would 100% agree. You need, uh, we can talk about cliches and recharging the batteries. But for me, that recharge piece is actually then what creates the next part of the journey. Because mm-hmm. someone said to me years ago, like, if you're busy day to day, you don't have a business, mm-hmm. you have a job. So it's very important to be in that helicopter viewpoint for medium-sized businesses that want to scale to the next level. Um, not in a physical helicopter, I'm not talking about Celtic Tiger Ireland here, but in, in metaphorically, where you can look down and go, right, this is what we're going to do next. And I don't, I think if you don't have someone in that role in the business, your business will not grow. And certainly mm. for me, and I'm sure for Marissa, the aim is to consistently remain. Now, there's t- mm-hmm. occasions where you have to get down on the ground and mm-hmm. push and hard. And to go back to Marissa's point is right, is that when things are going well, that's time to be greedy mm-hmm. in business. I know greedy is a bad word, but like to try and push hard yeah. when things are going well. Because yeah. what happens is we have a, all, humans have an automatic thing of taking the foot off the accelerator when, when things, things are, are good, well. going well. They really mm-hmm. do. Time and it's relax. like, yeah. if you can get as much fuel in the tank when things are going yeah. well, yeah. then you can, as Marissa When you get to, a bit of momentum going. Totally. And then you can actually survive the bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. But one thing I'll say is that entrepreneurs, and I know Marissa's been in this point because she talked about going in and pitching to a big client meeting. Depending on how that goes, that is such a demonstrably huge effect and impact on the business that I think that's what separates, we'll say, business owners from staff at any level is that in general, if you come in at eight in the morning and you work till six or seven in the evening, you know, you'll have big swings or whatever. But an entrepreneur could have something that could disrupt a year's worth of plans Mm -hmm. in one day. And then you have to go home to your family and be the same person you were when you left that morning, that's mm-hmm. becoming ever increasing a challenge, I think, for people who who become more and more all in and their business is scaling. So for mm-hmm. like medium sized businesses that are turning, you know, eight to 10 million plus and want to kick it to the next level. There's so many variables and so many things that can happen in a day that can disrupt the entrepreneur's mindset. I think you're in a scenario where the family and the people around them need to understand that this person can mm-hmm. go in and out of big peaks and troughs. And that doesn't really happen in the startup phase. Startup phase is kind of, we're in it for the ride and we're pushing hard. And of course, there's big swings in that. But for medium business, they're trying to scale up to much larger enterprises. Yeah. Huge conversations, like mm-hmm. Marissa mentioned, with suppliers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. potential sure. customers are just massive. Okay. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned, you know, you have to go back to your family at the end of the day. <coughs> I'm aware that both of you have quite young families. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Marissa, you have two young children now. Two How battles. do you compartmentalize and let what Niall is uh, referencing there, you know, a big distraction that can disrupt you and take you mentally away. How do you shake that off at the end of the day and go home and be a wife and mother? I think that, well, I, I, heard, this, I heard this recently, you know, that um, people expect mothers to work like they don't have children and they expect mothers to parent like they don't work. Um, and that rang true to me. I felt that in my gut when I read it. Um, but I've done two things as my business has scaled that as a mother and as an entrepreneur, I feel have helped me to manage that or to keep that balance. And the first thing is I have very short chains of command. So, um, you know, there would be a very small number of people that would have my mobile number in the business and that would report directly to me um, because I would feel drained if there was just too many people coming at me all the time for, you know, little things to be decided on. So I've given it most of my staff have an awful lot of autonomy to make decisions and look if they make a 
bad decisions, they make bad decisions, we'll handle it. Um, so I try not to micromanage things as much as possible. And then the second thing that I've done is I've set very clear boundaries. Um, and I don't, I mean, I, I try to set an example of working smart and not long. Um, so for example, you know, at the weekends, I see my weekend is sacred. And if an, if an employee is contacting me at the weekend, I'm hoping that they're just asking if they can come over, uh, you know, and join the barbecue. Like, I, I don't think that you should be contactable Would you have a work at phone? all hours. And if I, so, do you turn I, it no, off? No, do you know what? I have one phone. I've had the same phone number since I was 16. Same. Um, yeah, wonderful. Well, so I'm 20 maybe. years. I'm not, not your phone number either. I'm 20 years with the same phone number. Um so, yeah, they're the two things mm. that I do. I set boundaries for when I'm working and when I'm not. Now, obviously, there's times in the business um, and in the week where it can't be helped. Something has to be handled on a Sunday night. But as much as possible, I try and say, look, lads, go and enjoy your weekend. We have staff to handle the social media and the emails at the weekend. Mm. Switch off. Switch yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. And for you, Niall... You had a young son, son at home when you went all in for the first time. Actually, tell us about that. How did you make that initial jump? Yeah, so Max is now 10. But when I started the business, um, I was had Max at weekends, you know, uh, son from a previous relationship. And I didn't want to be away from him for too long. So when I, I started Joe.ie, as it was then in, in, in 2010 in Galway, uh, in the middle of like an unbelievable recession, like I mean, people forget yeah. how bad year it was. Two, it's it not was even pretty a, bad. What's that? <laughs> year two. Oh yeah, I mean, it Jesus, it bad. didn't. Yeah, and look, you know, we're in, you know, caustic enough kind of waters at the moment with Brexit on the horizon and stuff like that. So, but no, so I quickly realised in a year I needed to move this business to Dublin. If you're trying to run a national media brand, you've got to be in Dublin, mm. right? You know, if you're interviewing Roy Keane or Colin Farrell or these people, they're not floating around the Ormore exactly. Business Park. Okay? They're in the Marion Hotel at a very specific time. So to run a media brand, I had to go to Dublin. So what I did is I literally just came up uh, Monday morning and stayed in B&Bs and hotels for about three or four years. Wow. And like that, that is all in. That is not for everybody. A suitcase I remember, living. Yeah, yeah, I oh totally, and to some extent, I'm still doing a lot of that, but an awful lot less. But I have, um, but that that was a cornerstone of our business because it was the right decision to take it to Dublin. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't commit to Dublin because I needed to be home at Max from, mm. let's say, Thursday, Thursday, and I have Max four nights a week mm. now, and I've facilitated created an environment where I can live in Galway, and then I come up to Dublin to do stuff like this or fly to to London from Shannon to get to the business. And that's kind of getting that balance right. But then mm. the beauty of it as it's evolved, obviously, is Galway is a great place to be in that helicopter because there is a Dublin bubble. And therefore, if we're trying to run a business in London as well, I don't think Dublin is the right place for me to come back to because yes. all of a sudden, I remember coming neutral. back you one evening. somewhere neutral. Well, it is, there's arts, culture, the sea, entertainment. Galway is not a, like, it's not a commercial city. It's a city that's powered by tourism and maybe foreign direct investment. So it's a great place to get away from media. Um, but yeah, I had to make those commitments, definitely. And it was the right decision at the time, but I wouldn't have been able to, I'm going to Dublin and I'll see Max every second weekend, not in a month of Sundays. Mm -hmm. So, um, and actually for two years that journey, I was going back to Castle Bar, where I'm from, and staying in my parents' house and picking up Max, you know, so uh, what I was going to be and be. So like moved out of the house I was living in Goa to do that. And mm -hmm. again, you don't even think, looking back, you go, Jesus, was that a sack? And it probably was, but mm -hmm. you just do whatever it takes to, make it to work. yeah, within reason to make it work. And that's not without like, I'm talking about walking all over people when I say do, do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes 
to make it happen. Because you make ultimately, the personal sacrifices that you feel you need totally. to make. Yeah. Because within very quickly, and I'm sure Marissa said, I was doing this for Max, not mm-hmm. for myself, yeah. and doing that for my future children. And, and the that's things the way that you both did, you presumably wouldn't have done without the safety net. Or naivety. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we might other. be slightly different. This definitely, if there was a safety net, no, I just don't ever want to be attached to a safety net. Um, I want to get to a place mm. where I'm in a cocoon uh, and have definitely you need to have financial freedom. So one of the challenges I think we're going to be, I'm, I'm facing the business now is like there will have to be at some stage an exit or a partial exit for me to become financially independent because the entrepreneur, if all of their uh, business is, if, if all of their wealth is tied to their business, then that's not necessarily a great place to be. Mm-hmm. And has possibly been through this mm-hmm. journey once or twice. But for me, that's certainly where I want to get to, to be able to go back and become a, a buccaneering entrepreneur because what I'd say is an entrepreneur in their mid-twenties is far more of a risk taker mm-hmm. when they don't have a family and if they don't, they don't care where they live they'll go to San Francisco in the morning to make a go of it right mm-hmm. but as you go on you become what I, I would say I'm a conservative more, more conservative but still an out and out risk taker you still have to have that element but what I want to get to is a situation where I can get back to being a little bit more swashbuckling in terms of my decision making and a little bit more uh yeah, triggery, trigger happy. Mm. Oh, and and you, you, if all your wealth is tied up to your business. If you have too that, much to lose. Too much to lose. If you have too much to lose, your decision making definitely becomes more measured and your risk taking gets less and less. Def- like, that's just what happens. Yeah. And that's not a good place for the, the lead entrepreneur in the business to be when they're in that no. scenario because it, it definitely impacts on growth and slows down. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, like, and again, that's why like private equity exists as a concept mm-hmm. in that it kind of usually allows the founder slash entrepreneurs or founders to take money off the table, mm-hmm. to de-risk as it mm-hmm. were. Um, More freedom. Pay off the mortgage, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, to go and then get back to running and driving the business. Yeah, well, it, on this topic, um, so... When my husband two years ago came, took redundancy from banking after 17 years and came to work with me in the Coco Brown, now Carter Beauty business, one of the biggest concerns I had was that his financial experience and, um, well, Prudence. Knowledge, prudence, <laughs> yeah, would would start to impact the decisions that I would make um, and the risks that I would take. And just last year, you know, we had well, when I launched the makeup line, we launched with we had just under half a million units of product come in from the manufacturer in, a, in a week. And it was a yeah, yeah it, there was there was both of us, you know, sat back and went, hope this works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, you, you do have to, you, you do have to obviously take measured risks, but you still just have to keep taking risks. If you want your business to grow, and I mentor with a group called Going for Growth, and um, one of the first things that I sit down and talk about with a group of eight or nine other women that, I, that, that are there at the table, one of the first things I, I do talk to them about is taking risk and what that looks like for you financially because I do think that women and I hope I don't get murdered for saying this but I do think that women are naturally more risk averse than men when it comes to um lend financial risk because I think we like to feel you know we want to protect our family we want to feel safe um and uh I think maybe more so now more than ever, we want to be more financially independent. And um, 
taking financial risks is something that I think as a female entrepreneur, you ha- I, I certainly have to push myself a little bit more to do it. Okay. I'll, I'll take more risks in every other way with the business, but the financial risks, I hold back a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Niall and Marissa. And do stay with us because in just a few minutes, they're going to give us their one to watch in business this week. But next up, each week here on All In, we'll be speaking to a true Irish business trailblazer, someone who has really shown the courage, foresight and commercial chops to go all in on an idea they deeply believe in. The man I'll be speaking to next launched a little company called Storyful back in 2010, which he then sold to Rupert Murdoch's News Corp three years later for an estimated eight. 18 million euro. He's now gone all in a second time with the launch of his company earlier this year called Kinzin. This week's trailblazer is Mark Little. Okay, Mark, thanks for joining us. And let's kick things off with telling us a little bit about Kinzin. Why does the world need Kinzin? So what I realized was, you know, everyone had this manic moment around 2016 when Trump was elected, where you had these phrases like fake news and misinformation. And I was just leaving Twitter at the time. So I was thinking, looking around me, what's going wrong here? And I realized it wasn't just about truth. Like there was too much misinformation. It was actually about trust. People had lost their connection to quality sources of information in their daily lives because it was coming at them constantly. So I was trying to figure out what to do next. And Kinzen is coming out of a conversation I had with uh, my co-founder Anya Kerr and she was working for Facebook at the time and we said how do we reconnect people to the quality news in their daily life they get up in the morning they know that they've got news about their commute they get to work they're a professional they've got professional news by 11 o'clock they're a foodie so if we could reconnect people to quality news sources that's the way we thought we could rebuild trust so we built Kinzen and what we're doing now is building technology uh, that helps users personalize their experience of news and information to build these kind of empowering connections with the people who produce the quality news and information in our lives. So it was very much kind of our experience as well in our previous life at Storyful, the first startup, trying to essentially recapture some of that wonderful, democratic, empowering spirit of the first internet and mixing it with these great experiences we have in our apps, which help us create healthy routines of diet and exercise. We want to do the same for news and information. And you're up and running at the moment. You've had some funding. Tell us about your journey. And I'm curious about the decision not to bootstrap. Yeah, so we have, lucky enough, we've got the backing of what we call mission-driven individual investors from the United States, from Ireland, and also from Asia. Uh, We're about, hopefully, to close out the seed round now in the next couple of weeks and months. So we feel like we have what we need to go for it. And one thing I learned from my first time around as an entrepreneur is, is just be prepared to go big or go home. You know, for us, that is so important. You know, we know that first time around, we had some things we never managed to achieve. And this time around with Kinzen, for myself and for Anya, for the rest of the team, it really is about making an impact in people's lives every single day. So this is not about suck it and see and see what happens next. It's about a very clear vision of where we want to be for the next six weeks, six months and six years. I'm going to get you to contrast the two now in a minute, but let's go back to the beginning first. This show obviously is called All In. So many people now know you from Storyful, from Kinzin. Of course, plenty of people in Ireland still know you from your RTE days. Um, 
tell us about the moment you decided to leave RTE and go all in. It's funny, I actually was in RTE at the time. I had just arrived and you were just leaving and I was fresh faced just out of college and the feeling in RTE and just generally that you would leave RTE and go all in on this new venture. It was it was as if you were Columbus and you were going to go across across the ocean we might never see you again it was worse than that people thought I was on a mental breakdown I have a very good friend of mine who's a very famous broadcaster who said I was almost going to take you aside and have an intervention, have an intervention. Right. right okay because people thought that was what was happening it was like a midlife crisis it wasn't done it wasn't yeah. done but it was also like is he is he mentally unbalanced and actually it's began believe it or not 10 years ago today wow it was my first tweet happy anniversary thank you very much my first <laughs> my 10th twitter anniversary and when I went on twitter Mm. I suddenly discovered that I could have a better connection to the people who were the audience. So mm. when you're on television, right, you speak into a camera and nobody can talk to you. Nobody can answer back. Yeah. You don't really have an intimate connection. When I discovered social media, I suddenly realized that when I was going to interview the Minister of Finance, and remember it was the economic crisis back in 20, mm. 2009, I was asking people to give me questions that I could go into the primetime studio with. I was so excited by this idea that now the audience was actually part of the reporting team. They could speak yeah. truth to power. And that was a moment of exhilaration. But it scared the bejesus out of me because I was also a foreign correspondent. And suddenly I was mm -hmm. looking at videos from places like Iran, way more authentic than anything I could do as a foreign reporter. So part of me was also scared. And so where some of my friends and journalists were seeing threats from social media, I just thought, what if you started from scratch? Mm. with this wonderful democratic power and with all these people saying and speaking and telling stories, what if we find the right people? And that was the beginning of the journey. And it's kind of like an infection. Right. You're all in because in some ways you have got infected by something. And I looked forward 25 years and said, I would always regret not doing this. Mm. And if it all goes wrong, I won't regret it. And that was the moment. And... Uh People, when they talk about going all in, they often mention, um, you know, the safety net. You have to get rid of the safety net. It's the only way you can really have enough skin in the game to push yourself harder. Um, you, of course, would have had, well, am I right in saying you would have had a wife and children at home at that point? Yeah, yeah. I remortgaged my house. I put wow, everything, okay. every penny I had. But in all honesty, like I, I realized something in my 10 years as being an entrepreneur. Everything I was told the first time out, and we're still told, is wrong. Right. Like what? Well, I remember Steve Jobs' is his famous advert from 1997 where he says, think different. It's always the crazy people who are the greatest entrepreneurs. That's not true. Right. You, you can't be all in. You have to have some lifeboat that you know. Okay. I'm taking a crazy risk. And if you're particularly if you've got a family, you've got to know what the worst case scenario is. People always say to you, and I said it to myself, failure is not an option. Mm. Not only is it an option. It's, it's the secret to success is being able to embrace the possibility of failure. So if you haven't seriously sat down and said to yourself, what does failure look like? And that's okay. I can survive that. You should not be an entrepreneur. So and all did you in, look at that? You, yeah. you sat down and looked at that? Yeah, probably too late. <laughs> it was probably about a year in when I literally was. I remember one drive home for Christmas where I had refused uh, angel investment that morning. Mm. I hadn't told my wife the business was over. And on a long drive to Galway, but sometime around Ballina Slow, you know, the 15th time Chris Ria was singing Driving Home for Christmas, I said to her, it's all over. And it was only then that I'd actually contemplated failure. Right. And there was a kind of an exhilaration in it. Now, 
thankfully, my lead investor, Ray Nolan, uh, didn't take no for an answer. And we worked it out and the business Storyful survived and I went forward. But mm. it was that moment when I realized what failure looked like and it was okay that gave me the strength that sustained me, I think, even still today. Well, many people might then think that you having the courage to do that a second time, you've just gone back all in now with Kinzen, may only have come from the fact that that story did have a happy ending. Do you think... If you had said to your wife on that drive home, it's all over, and it really had been all over, and there had been no further paragraph added to that story, would you have gone back in a second time? Could you have? I think you, I would have. I think so. Because what you suddenly realize is I've been a top corporate executive. I work with Ruta Mur- Murdoch. I work for Jack Dorsey for the Irish taxpayer. Uh, working for yourself and building your own team is, is a rare joy. Uh, I'm not great at managing upwards. I'm pretty good at building teams and giving people power themselves over their futures and hopefully inspiring them to do things that look around the corner. Mm-hmm. So that's been, I think, one of my, my only real natural talents in all of this. And the best way of employing that is to build teams. So I may not have gone out on my own, but I think I always would after that first time um, devoted my life to trying to build teams, lead teams, and, and eventually make people feel they have the power themselves. So that's what leadership is, is about, I think, is decentralizing power to people. So a great manager says, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. A great leader makes the people in that room feel like they know what they're doing. And I've appreciated in my life that the greatest joy is building teams that build companies. And I think once I, I had that sort of experience, it was never going to be the same again, no matter how bad the failure was the first time around. Is that as addictive as news can be? Yeah, it's more. I mean, news is storytelling. It's about the idea of getting up and telling people who haven't experienced the visceral reality of a war zone, what's happening behind you. Mm. Being an entrepreneur is telling people a story about the future. Something doesn't exist. Something people can't see around the corner to see it the way you do. So it's the same kind of thing. It's a storytelling tradition. And and that's, for me, why there's such a similarity. There's one big difference. When you're a journalist, you kind of endure. You know, you go to a war zone, spend a few days, and you get out. You're safe again. When you're an entrepreneur, you're never safe. So you've got to have a totally different mindset where you're, it's all about resilience. Knowing every day you'll walk into work and you're going to get a kick in the head. And that's going to be okay. And being able to get over that and know you have the mindset to learn from your failures and learn quickly. And I think that's the difference between the reporting, the journalism and what I do today, which is every day having little successes and little failures and navigating your way forward and hopefully upwards. Um, So resilience is the key skill set that I always preach to young entrepreneurs. And um, I guess this is kind of a related question what would be different about Mark Little in Kinzen compared to Mark Little, founder of Storyful? A hundred times more chill. Very not good. as wild, uh, not as inconsistent. Uh, sometimes when you're in that first journey, it's kind of manic mm. and you're grabbing at everything and you're moving at a million miles an hour and you mistake speed for certainty uh, and consistency. So what I've learned over the years is that the true leadership right, is about things like empathy, understanding people. It's about uh, empowering those people. It's about actually self-control as well and self-awareness and knowing something about yourself and being able to regulate your own emotions because everybody looks to you as a leader. And if you don't have control over your own emotions, if you don't have that self-awareness and that empathy for people, um, then you're going to fail 
nine times out of ten. And even the people who succeed being inconsistent, you know, these ridiculously uh, cliched ideas of an entrepreneur being a charismatic genius, that is bullshit, Mm -hmm. right? The great entrepreneurs are team players, team builders who maintain their composure, even when in their brain they want to jump out the window. And, and I think when I look back at my early self, I would recognize someone with a lot of passion, but not a great degree of control in how they channel that with people in the room, with them around them. So that's been my journey. Okay. Uh, I'd like to think also that I'm probably a little bit more chill about taking time to recharge as well and to be a better person when I walk out the door, when I go home to my wife, my kids, my friends. And you mentioned there your early self or your earlier self. What about your later self? I know you mentioned before your mentor and investor, Ray Nolan, and that he used to encourage you to consider the mark of 2025, the mark of beyond that. What do you think now about the mark of 2025? What does it look like to you? Wow, that's a great question. When I look forward, I mean, I hope that, you know, in some ways I can look back at all the people that possibly I worked with. Um, And I can take greater happiness in the things that make people around me happy and empowered. And that's something I must admit I didn't know at the beginning. I just obsessed about things that stressed me and stressed the business. And I think that the mark of 2025 was going to be a logical conclusion, hopefully, of the person I am today, which I'm taking a great deal more enjoyment and happiness when I see someone in my office or a friend or a partner or a client suddenly getting it. And, and seeing the look in their eyes when they get happy about something that I'm doing or the team's doing. And so I think the market 2025 will realize the success in life is being happiest about the things that make other people empowered and happy and being way less stressed about the things that you think are life and death decisions. Perspective. Perspective. But also, like, as I say, this thing about radical empathy is connecting with people and understanding not just what they're thinking, but why they're thinking that and helping them you know, get to that point where they're also, they've got perspective. So I think that's the greatest joy for me every day as an entrepreneur, less about putting the numbers up. But at the same time, there's something great about getting that first client. You know, there's something beautiful about that pitch where you're seeing somebody who has absolutely no idea what you're talking about suddenly get it when the penny drops. And also a bit of, you know, I have to say uh, a little bit of affirmation when people look at you going, you're absolutely crazy. I have no idea what you're doing. And then a couple of years later, they go, oh, that was obvious you from the right. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're an entrepreneur, particularly with Storyful, it just drove me mad. People would say, I have no idea what you're doing. And they'd be very proud of it. And initially that drove me wild. And now I kind of take that a little bit more in perspective and go, well, I'm looking forward to coming back to you in a few years time. And it will seem like the most obvious thing in the world. In the world yeah. Well, the mark of 2025 sounds very chilled out and uh, full of perspective. But the mark of 2019, of course, will be very much looking forward to your your launch in September, I believe. So we're now in the position where we're selling into companies. So we're a technology provider for a lot of the big publishers and conversations, brands, anyone who has a business that needs trust and information. We're now building the underlying personalization technology and we're starting to see the first real test. So we're hoping that by September, October this year, again, it will seem completely obvious while we're actually at the moment frantically in our attic space here in Dublin City building the, this engine, we're really looking forward to talking about it a bit more perspective and depth in, in September, October. Uh, but for now, I've been spending my time with this tiny team and it's been an awful lot of fun looking into the future and, and trying to, to build it. 
Well, all the best for the September launch, Mark. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again to check in with you how you're doing and how Kinzen is going. I hope so. Yeah. And I hope we're not coming back to you to tell you the total opposite you I said today. Be. You won't No, be. I'm sure it'll be. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Great stuff from Mark Little there. Now, before we go, we're going to hear again from Niall and Marissa about their one to watch. What's big in business this week? Marissa, I'll start with you. Yes. So my one to watch is Darren Kennedy. He is a very well-known television presenter who has spotted a niche, a massive niche um, in the skincare market. And he has launched a line of skincare for men. Um, There's no one else doing it. Um, I think that space is just right for the taking. Um, and, Male uh, Marissa. That's what it would be. Do you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with uh, the men of Ireland and their skin. God knows we need it. <laughs> uh, what about you, Niall? So, Tom Gannon and Niall McGrath, two guys that were heavily involved in the creation of the Fulfill Protein Bar, uh, now left that business and they, I think, have teamed up with Donald Skeehan and are creating a new product called Cali Cali which is a whole range of like, they're in that health and fitness space Mm. again, that vegan uh, crisps and snacks and what have you. So I think given the guy's track record of distribution and getting those products in the shops, I think that's definitely one to watch. I love the food space. I mean, Ireland Mm. is probably leading the curve in terms of the switch away from traditional old industrial cooking and snacks Mm. into a kind of a totally new, like when you go abroad, it's when you actually realize, crikey, like we're not, Spain doesn't have anything like the products Mm -hmm. I used to get, I get at home. Mm -hmm. So we've been market leaders in that. And I think, uh, I think the guys are onto something good, but the whole kind of healthy eating food space Mm -hmm. is just, there's so much happening there with Chopped and Sprout and all these mm-hmm. guys, but the, 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 these guys are two good operators. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I would definitely say they're my ones to watch. Right. Okay. And so that, that vegan trend, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, that vegan trend has definitely transcended now into the beauty space as well. So I'll be keeping an eye on their success. Okay. Well, thanks to both of you. There you have it. Callie Callie and Darren Kennedy's skincare range. And we'll be back, of course, with more One to Watch for you next week. And that's it for the very first episode of All In. Thanks to my panel, Niall McGarry and Marissa Carter, Mark Little of Kinzen, our All In Trailblazer interview for this week. And thanks, of course, to you for being part of the programme. Thanks to our partners in AIB for backing All In. You can get in touch with us by using the hashtag All In Business. And please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Joe presents All In, together with AIB, backing Irish business.